Welcome to episode 65 of Control the Controllables. Today, I have actually one of my best mates on the show, but many of you will know him as Dicko, and some of you will know him as Simon Dixon, and some of you won't know him, but anyone in the world of tennis, back in the day, in the 90s, he was one of the best junior tennis players in the world, beating players like Roger Federer, Leighton Hewitt, and Olivia Rokus, these type of players. Um, he then went on to get to about 450 in the world ATP. We do address that throughout the podcast of how he was such a bright prospect and why he didn't get past 450 in the world ATP. Um, he was also a fantastic footballer. He played for Manchester United when he was younger. He's got a great story. He's one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And I'm sure you're all going to uh, love listening to Dicko. He's a quiet, unassuming guy. And to have him come on and share his thoughts is a, is a real treat for the podcast. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, before we get started, just my usual plea of liking, sharing, reviewing, getting the podcast out there. Uh, much appreciated to everyone that has done that. And if you could, you could spare one minute max. It's all it takes uh, to go onto the iTunes app and to get it out there or to share it on your social media. It would be greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy the show and I'm going to pass you over now to Simon Dixon. So Simon Dixon, a, a massive welcome to Control the Controllables. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Good to be on. And, and like I say, for, for those listening, you'll find that I call Simon Dicko. And that's, that's a habit. We go back a long way. We went to school together. We played doubles together. We probably even got drunk together for the first time. So we, there's lots of Lots of stories to tell, Dicko. Um, for anyone listening, Simon was ranked as high as 469 in the world ATP at age 20 and 269 in doubles. Now, the age is significant because we're going to get onto that as we go. You know, he's got a, he's got a great story. There's, there's lots to talk about. He was a fantastic junior tennis player, one of the best that we've, we've had in Britain, beating Roger Federer. Leighton Hewitt, to mention a few in those age groups, and also played football for Man United when he was younger. So, uh, a multi-talented young man. Uh, how's how's things now? Uh, where you at, and what what's going on, Dicko? Yeah, well, good. Thanks, mate. Yeah, we're um, yeah, just back, kind of back to the program training at Edgebaston as kind of reasonably normal as we were really before. Um, obviously, with a few few restrictions restrictions in place but yeah it's um it's relatively normal to be fair it's good to be back on the court and kind of a bit more bit more normal and you're not doing as many tricks off the off the side of your house and building like i saw on instagram during the during the lockdown period i saw the skills coming out yeah that that wore down after i was running out of ideas <laughs> there were some great ideas and how many of them were first time uh how many probably there was a couple there was a couple but not many no, was, was, there, there was one that must have taken about 100 goes it was good to see the creativity that everyone was coming up with but no i suppose today dicko it'd be great to to talk about first and foremost you your tennis growing up and, and your sport growing up i guess and your background growing up you know to get to the stage to be one of the best, if not the best, player under 14 in the world for your age. It's, I think that's really interesting for people to understand that, that process, really, and what your reflections on that were. Sure. Yeah, well, where it kind of, tennis for me, where it started, uh, just by chance, really. So, um, had a friend who was also sporty. Uh, this is going back probably, five, I think I was five, maybe four, but I think I was five. Um, yeah, just like one of my mates at home and he joined a mini tennis class and basically said, do you want to come along? Yeah. Um, so I went along to that, um, enjoyed it. Don't really, I don't really remember. I just remember loving it. 
Yeah. Um, but then kind of significantly from there, I think basically my, maybe my dad kind of thought, could see that I was quite good at it um, and bought me a racket, bought me a ball. Um, and again, I think, I feel like it's kind of quite, I don't know what the right word is, but basically in our garden, like the, the patio was like a mini tennis court. Right, okay. So with this racket and ball, I mean, the amount of hours that I was to spend out there, yeah. just hitting balls against the wall. I beat, I think I beat Ed Berg, I beat Becker. Yeah, um, those were the guys, weren't they? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I beat them many times against the wall. Yeah. They'd always, yeah, they'd always just hit it out after about a 30-shot rally. <laughs> <laughs> they'd just dangle it off the wall at their age. You know, just enough to hit it into the, uh, into the shrubs. Uh, yeah. Go on. No, I was going to say, it's not, after a long, I'm sure, if it was like me, it was always very close. I always allowed them to get a few points. I allowed them to get close to winning the match, but they never quite got over the line against me, actually. Yeah, it was always, it was always a best of five classic. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. But do you think that's missing nowadays? Uh, I would say, I don't, yeah, I think so. It's hard to say, isn't it? But yes, I think it's probably the answer to that. Yeah. Um, there's probably exceptions to that. I'm sure there's still. Yeah. I'm sure that still goes on, but I just think it probably. Yeah, I don't know, and maybe uh, you know, probably from different areas, it happens more than others. Mm. Um, but there's certainly a lot of a lot more structured tennis that goes on maybe now that. Yeah. You know, like I remember when obviously then I got got good at that and was sort of competing I don't know what it was that back then county level or something you know mini tennis and then um and so on but most of the tennis was hitting against a wall or going down the club but we we joined a local club me and my dad um playing junior club nights and things like that um and yeah I'd like the odd squad I think I had like a regional squad maybe at some point and then a county squad and I had then you had like the county coaches so then I yeah. ended up having a lesson with, uh, you know, with Jim once a week and so on. But, um, but yeah, it was very kind of, you kind of, you, you, you did it yourself almost really, a little bit really. Yeah, and I think also, like, I don't remember ever working on skill. Like if we, <clears throat> like nowadays, it, it feels almost in lessons we, we quite often have to work on slices, drop shots, skill, yeah. soft hands. And, and if I even take like my boy, and I know, I don't know if your boy started playing tennis yet, but I'm sure he's he just, will. He's, he's just started here now, yeah? Yeah, so, you yeah, know, like I'm, lessons, yeah. I'm sure he's going to have a great slice backhand. But it, it, I, like, I remember my boy, like at three or four, he was hitting like softballs in the house around the fireplace. And part of me wanted to tell him off. But part of me just wanted to just sit back because what he what I was watching him do, he was like saving the rally a lot. Yeah. So there's like lots of like throwing the hand at the ball to save the rally, manipulating to get different angles of the racket. And, and I guess that's that's all of the things that we would have had back in the day, playing against walls playing against the feeds that your dad's thrown you that aren't quite perfect, you know, rather than a a 15-hour programme where, where you are receiving perfect balls coming at you at all times. I, I don't know what you think about that. I just uh, I couldn't, just couldn't agree more. I just think, that, like you said, those skills that, you, you know, it's, it's you adapting to what's, what's going on as opposed to, you know, it being, it being taught, really. You know, like, yeah. you know, if you're in this situation, you're going you're gonna to find a way to to figure it out, aren't you? And then, you know, even like, like I said, going down to junior club night, you, I could be playing against an adult or, a, you know, a 15, 16 year old boy when I was eight, nine, 10. Yeah. You know, and you're just kind of working a lot of that stuff out yourself. And even playing cricket with a tennis racket. You get, yeah. you, you just get, I mean, they would call it, you know, they would call it path angle speed of racket they've got fancy terms for it but ultimately that's what you're doing you're redirecting balls and you're changing yeah. the path and the angle and the speed of the racket all the time and, and then if just to fast forward a bit before i want to get back into a couple more things dicko 
but again, one of my big memories of Bisham Abbey. So for those listening, you would have heard James Trotman, Lee Childs, Martin Lee that have been on the show as well. We were the Bisham boys back in the day, or some of the Bisham boys back in the day. And I remember just having balls peppered at us. When you went to the net, you had to develop quick hands, otherwise you were getting tagged on a daily basis. 100%. You know, like, I said, like, like you said, I, a lot of those things, like I don't remember being, I don't remember massively being taught, like keep your racket out in front of you. It was just, you had no choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, completely. You know. Save, no. save, save yourself. Yeah. And, and in, terms of, in terms of your dad, who was a big, yeah. he, he was a big, part of your tennis you know and, and I, I certainly I was a year older than you but I guess he was probably one of the first tennis parents I came across that was that was into it you know he was what's what's your what's your memory of that you know I guess the positives and then maybe maybe some of the not the negatives but the constructions from it as well uh yeah so for sure my dad was like I don't know he was one he loved sport yeah. So, uh, my dad used to race race motorbikes, right? Um, and I don't know whether I don't really know. It's funny, really, because I don't really massively. I don't think I've ever really talked in great depth about it. Yeah. Um, but I think he had a sort of similar thing where he kind of he maybe got to a point where he just couldn't carry on in his in his journey. You know, there he raced in in uh, TT, the Isle of Man, raced quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I assume that that kind of competitive, you know, and kind of, I don't know what you want to call it. He kind of instilled in me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was kind of, you know, um, like I said, he took me to, he was the same with every sport. So we, I played football. Um, he took me to golf at the weekends. Um, and, and the same with the tennis. So we'd like, when I finished school, my dad would take me, you know, it'd be like, you finish school, he'd be back at five and it was like, right, we're going to the tennis club. <laughs> you know, you need to practice almost kind of for, yeah. you know, and sometimes that was, I do remember times when I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to really want to, but I kind of did. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't, I, I always used to think that maybe my dad kind of instilled that in me and yet, you know, I kind of, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, it's like when we went on, like with the mini tennis thing I said about there, having the racket and ball, I used to, I was never told to do that. That was yeah, like yeah. me. I just, yeah. I'd be out there for hours because I loved it. And the same with football, I'd be out in the garden playing football. So I think there was definitely, there was definitely an element when I was playing that, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it really, that, um, yeah, my dad played a huge part in me. Like he, yeah. you know, he wanted me to. He gave me the opportunity to do what you know, yeah. to do what I kind of, you know, to play in those sports. And um, I guess he drove me to try really hard. But I don't, I don't know whether that was, you know, I don't know whether that was necessary or not. And was winning in your family was winning the only success measure? I don't really know. And I know again, like they'd say the same, like when I was playing game, when we played board games at home, like I would cry if I lost, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and now we're like, when, when I go back home for Christmas and stuff, we play card games, it's the same, like yeah. we're quite competitive when we're playing. It's just kind of maybe in our nature a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it's just the way, kind of just the way it is. It wasn't just about the winning because I, like, for example, if I was playing in junior matches and if I won a match, sometimes my dad would, like, I always remember, like, we'd go on the journey on the way home. You must have, you must have had those journeys. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying your, your parents were the same, but, like, if I'd put in a bad performance, yeah. I'd know about it in the car on the way home, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and sometimes I, that was if I won as well. Yes, you know, yeah. you know, you were... You know, I always remember a couple of things like my dad would say if I, you know, um, you go stick the nail in the coffin, you know, when you've got the guy, you know, you're almost, you're almost letting back in there, you know, because you didn't, you know, yeah. 
you know, keep your foot down and so on. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't purely about winning, but at the same time, it was, it was a pretty high priority, I would have thought. And how did that make you feel as a, as a youngster? Because you can't get away from anyone in the car. There's no escape. Uh, yeah, it's funny, really, because it, the, it was either an amazing journey or a, or a dreaded journey. So, yeah, it did depend on, like I said, I don't know whether it was the performance or, or the win. It's hard to actually remember, really. Yeah. But, but yeah, it was either an enjoyable journey home where, and, and largely it was because generally, the, generally I did pretty well, but, but um, yeah, there was definitely the fear that if it had been a, yeah, if it had been a bad performance that, you know, yeah, we'd be there. I'd get an earful and then we'd be sat, we'd be sat in the car in silence on the way, yeah. on the way back. Because you know. yeah, I think there's, and, and I guess if we move forward now to even looking at different tennis players, my my memory of you, Dicko, was you were bloody good, but you were bloody, you valued putting the ball in court, you know, first and foremost. A bit like, you remind me a lot of Evo, you know, when Evo, when we think of Evo, he massively values putting the ball in court. But the, I guess there's that same side of it was, did it then hold you back that you then played a bit too conservatively? You know, and it's, I guess it's getting that balance because we don't, we don't want it to just be the kids can go out there and just hit the ball, like one of my pet peeves is that eventually, eventually it'll go in the court. Eventually, just keep yeah. smacking it. Just keep smacking it. Eventually, it'll go in the court. You know, and it's like when the kid has no value. Like no, it doesn't. No value. And you, you absolutely had value on that ball. Andy Murray did at a very young age. Obviously, Dan Evans. You know, when we think of these type players, do you think as you moved through through the tennis that because you valued that so much? It stopped you playing a little bit more proactively. hundred uh, percent, yeah, uh, yeah. There's definitely like in my nature. So even now, like in certain situations, like if I was when I was playing, I think would, I would definitely fall back on that. Yeah. So you know, and again, sometimes that it's just. I think when you are, when you are like that, it's like you have to just learn to. You almost have to learn to have both. You know, you have to add add to that. I think it's a good. It's a good. I think it's a good starting point. If I'm being honest, like, it is. It is. Just then, it's just then accepting that actually now, in order to be more effective, you know, you've got to be effective, don't you? So yeah. now, in order to be more effective, I'm going to have to add this to my game and add this to my game, and yeah. you know, do that. At the right, you know, be a great defender still, but you know, have the value of putting the ball in the court, but be willing to, you know, willing to do a bit more when when you need yeah. to. And I want to get back to that stuff a little bit later because obviously, you know, as as a junior, you were ranked so high, and you were on such a such a pathway really to 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 being a to being a top player. But before we get there, I can't not ask you about. They're not my favourite football club in the world, but they are a massive football club. Um, playing football for Man United, how that fitted into your world and then how the decision was to leave that because I know you're a big Man United fan as well. Yeah, so, yeah, like I said, when I was younger, I was playing, I was playing football, playing, I played like kind of in the, the local teams. Um, I was pretty much, yeah, my days must have been thinking back, I was like tennis during the week and then I think I had a football training session like maybe on a Wednesday and then matches over the weekend. Um, this is up to like, yeah, I don't know, age, age nine, age 10. And then age 10, I think it was. Um, yeah, I just got scouted at a football game um, by Oldham actually and trained there for a little while. I don't know how long it was actually, but I trained at Oldham and then yeah, basically got scouted by Man United and, and it, all it was really was um, I'd go training there once a week. Um, yeah. I think it was about two years before. So you didn't play any match. You'd never play any matches there. You just kind of, I don't know how many kids there. There was, there was a lot of kids there. So I was like probably yeah. one of 30 or 40 kids. And uh, yeah, and that's all the Man United thing was really. And I'd still carry on playing for my team, at, um, you know, over the weekend. Yeah. And then, and that was, I think that was a couple of years. And then 
yeah, and then basically the, the Bisham opportunity came and then you know, it's obviously a big discussion in my family and uh, I think ultimately I decided that, you know, it was, I wasn't going to get a, you know, I wasn't going to get a better opportunity than that in tennis. You know, I think at the, you know, back then the tennis, I'm not saying it, it was good. Actually, Cheshire was a really good county for tennis. Yeah, it was, yeah. Good coaches, good players. But at the same time, what I was being offered there at Bisham was, I mean, even now, it's even now if you were offered, you know, it was just something I couldn't, I couldn't turn down really. And I guess, I guess at that point I was starting to, I was starting to do pretty well at the tennis as well. So, and and what's your what's your reflections on your time at Bisham Abbey? So again, for those listening, Bisham Abbey was the national tennis centre at the time. So as I guess would be the NTC now. Um, Dicko went there age twelve. Twelve, yeah. Age because I remember you were there a year before I got there, and I'm a year older than you. So yeah. you were you were kind of one of the old boys at twelve or thirteen that had already knew your way around. What's your reflection on your time at Bishop? Largely, um, amazing time. You know, uh, coaching unbelievable. Um, you know. The friends that you make there are friends for life, basically. You know, like yeah. I've heard, heard you talking to the other ones, like, you know, basically everybody there is like my brother. Yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, but on top of that, like, you know, just, just yeah, it, couldn't, it couldn't have been better, really. I mean, yeah. you know, the level of, the level of coaching, the, yeah, the camaraderie really was just, yeah. Well, I don't know. Almost like the best times of my life, I feel. Yeah, yeah. And they also had a, they also had a payphone. So if you were getting an earful off your dad, yeah. you were able to pretend that your money was running out. Yeah, ten seconds to go. <laughs> beep, beep. Sorry, gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> These poor kids nowadays with mobile phones. They can't, oh, no. no hiding now. There's absolutely no hiding place. We had a, again, for those listening, there used to be a payphone in the Abbey. And uh, obviously that was the only way that we could really speak to our parents or our friends, whoever it was. But 50 pence doesn't go a long way, but 50 pence certainly doesn't go a long way when you're in, involved in a conversation that you don't really want to be involved in. <laughs> so we apologise, parents, for sometimes pretending that the money was running out. And... And in terms of, so at 14, you obviously, teen tennis, you, you were, I mean, I, I guess my, again, my memory of it was, I was, we were a year old, I was a year older than you, and you were already kind of one of the best in Europe, in the world, even our age. So within your age group, you were right there. Was there a moment that you thought, yeah, um, this is, this is a sport for me. This is something that I can really push on with. Did you realise how good you were at that time? Uh, probably, but I don't remember a specific moment thinking it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know, I guess it was, honestly, I don't, I don't really remember like a specific time. Like, I think once I was a bishop, like I was good before that. Yeah. I was obviously good to get selected, but then I think once I was, once I was a bishop, I improved quickly, um, yeah. just just through probably, well, a the unbelievable coaching, um, and it's just the, probably the volume that we were doing. Suddenly, I know I was I was playing a lot, but but yeah, then to be getting physical, physically trained, and you know, and then the level that you're playing with, I guess, a little bit as well. Um, yeah, and I think I I also I know that I was. I matured quite quickly physically, um, which probably helped. But I don't, I don't specifically remember a time. But I just knew that. So, for example, um, yeah, like in national. So I would, I would. And that was one thing my dad kind of. I always remember my dad saying. It, I use it a little bit now. Is kind of. I think sometimes kids go on court against maybe someone who's a year older, and you know they they're happy to lose six three six three or something. You know, yeah kids a year older than me I did quite well like I always remember thinking and my dad saying to me like yeah you can you know 
you should be beating this guy. I think you should be beating this guy now. Yeah. You know, probably be you or, or Dave or someone, you know, but he would yeah, sort yeah. of be like, you know, now. And so I kind of, you know, I, I used to go on and think yeah, that I good. should, you know, I used to think that I should be doing that. Yeah. And but then I go on, I think physically I was capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys were big, but um, yeah, I was, you know, I was yeah. physically pretty, pretty strong at that age. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't specifically remember a time, you know, where I thought. Yeah. Do you remember who you beat in the final of under fourteen nationals? I'm, fa- I'm facing him now, aren't I? <laughs> Do you remember the score? I I think it was five in the third, wasn't it? Yeah, it was seven five in the third. Five. Yeah. And do you know what I remember? <laughs> Go on. Good match, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really good match. Yeah. I think you played well, didn't you? We both played well in that I match. Th- yeah, I think. From it was memory. A, well, it was well, I managed to get one up on Mr. Sherwood in the semis. Yeah, because which was he was the top seed, and uh, it was I still to this day remember that feeling. I think I'd give him a bit of a cuffing actually in the semis. And, was, and then the morning, the morning of the final, John Willis, my coach at the time, it was just before I went to Bishop, and we were on like the far court at Nottingham. And I remember we turned, and you know what, you know, the Leeds, the Leeds manager, Bielsa, and, and there was the big yes. spy. The big spy gate with Derby. Well, well, no your, you going, <laughs> your dad, your dad was way ahead of the times. I took, we yeah. turned around, and your dad was like, he was like up a tree somewhere, like, and he was he was watching our warm up. So we started working on like slice forehands. We thought we we'll put we'll put him off. <laughs> so is yeah, that yeah. why I, is that why I lost the first set? <laughs> exactly, we completely fooled, or so we thought. Um, but yeah, no, good, good memories. That must have been a moment when you thought you were good if you were beating me in the final, I tell you. Yeah, that must have been <laughs> it. And, mm. and, and what, what about some of your, your be- best memories as a junior? Uh, the ones that spring to mind. So, like obviously that, that under 14 year, um, you know, we travelled to loads of tournaments. Um, and that year, so probably the ones that spring to mind would be like in the team. I love the team competitions. They're like the winter yeah. cup, summer cup. And yeah. you know, that year we had an unbelievable year really where we lost in the final of the winter cup to Belgium. Yeah. Then we won the summer cup beating Spain in the final. And, and then we went to Japan for the world. I think it was called NTT or something. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, that was just a, we were, we beat Germany in the final of that. And that was, uh, yeah, just just amazing time. Really, that was that was. Uh, I don't think forget that. You know, yeah, no, it was. A, it was. I remember it was a big moment in British tennis. It was like the first time ever, or certainly it, it wasn't something that they'd done very much. And then, and then, as you went on into kind of the ITF juniors, um, I can't can't have you on without asking you. Um, and I want to actually tell a little story before I ask you about it. But back in 2012, um, I was at the Australian Open Juniors with Liam Brodie and Josh Ward-Hibbert. And um, Liam got the, got the call. Paul Anacone asked if Liam would warm Federer up before the semi-finals, before the semi-finals of the Australian Open on Rod Laver Arena. And... As we're walking onto the court, Liam's talking to Paul Anacorn and I'm talking to, to Roger. And I don't proclaim to be like Roger's best friend, but he didn't remember me from juniors and we were having a good chat. And his first question he asked me is, how's Simon Dixon? <laughs> yeah, and, he, and, he, and his, his exact words were, what a player he was. You know, what's, what's, he, what's he doing? You know, so the impact that you had on someone like Federer, who is going to go down as possibly the greatest ever male player. You tell us, tell us about the time that you, that you beat him. Eddie Herr, was it? Eddie Herr, I think it was. Yeah. I don't, yeah. It's funny actually, because I went like once I, when I stopped playing and I remember going home and seeing, I, there's a postcard at, at home that I must've sent, sent back to my parents. Right, and they okay. basically said, they basically said, yeah, everything's fine here. Um, played the Eddie Hur this week, beat 
beat this player first round, beat this player second round, beat our Federer and have the score next to it. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, this is funny. Yeah. But I think I, I think it was under six, under sixteen. Eddie Hearn, I think. But it's I think funny about them. But it's funny the way things work. And when you're a junior, you don't really think, one. You don't know those things, do you? And then, but actually, as a as an under sixteen, he was obviously good, but he wasn't like the guy to beat. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't. Yeah. The, I think it was maybe a year or two later that any he, he suddenly uh, yeah stepped it up, stepped it up quite big. So, so that's then the that's then the big question, I guess, probably on the minds of people listening. How do you go from beating Roger Federer and beating Roger Federer at sixteen is, you know, I think when once we start getting to sixteen, seventeen, we're talking about proper tennis. You know, we're not. I, I think you know I can give a couple of results I had at under fourteens, under twelves, but that sort of age. So he's gone on to win twenty Grand Slams. Yet you didn't get any higher than four, six, nine, you know. So why? What's what happened? Oh, uh, I could probably go over this like a thousand times and give you a thousand different answers. But I think there's a couple of things. So I think a lot of a lot of top juniors, like, and I, I think I was kind of, I maybe wasn't quite. I kind of, I fell a little bit, not behind, but. Say like by under eighteen, I wasn't quite as yeah. quite as highly ranked say as I was under fourteen and you know and that age, but I was still up there. Um, but then, um, I think like you can have a little small window where you get a few opportunities to to really break through. Like I got some wild cards into it was like a tournament in London, Battersea tournament, which is an yeah. ATP tournament. Um, and yeah, I think historically, like players like a Federer and those guys, Hewitt did the same. They just suddenly go, a bit like I was talking to you before, like, I can do this. And, and they kind of make that move really quickly. And then maybe before they know it, they're almost there. You know, they're kind of like Hewitt went. I remember, I remember that we were in Australia playing one year. A year later, I went back. I played Hewitt in the, in the junior final somewhere. The year later, I went back to the same tournament as a junior and he was playing to Adelaide or somewhere like that. Beat Agassi, yeah. Qualified, I think he beat, was it the one beat, beat Agassi in the final. Yeah. And he just, you know, so there's, there's an element of that, take your opportunity. Um, and I, I, you know, I feel like I had some, a little sniff at that, um, but didn't, like in that Battersea tournament, I won year by Wilkins, Chris Wilkinson, who must have been 100 or so, and I was, I think I lost that. I remember being having a couple of break points in uh, four three up in the third, um, and lost that match. So just just like kind of a chance, but then um, yeah, it's just easy to get kind of lost a little bit. So I was playing, and then obviously then playing futures, and you're almost starting again from a junior. You know, you're you basically you're basically zero in the world when you start as a pro. Um, and then, yeah, it's just real, and I kind of, and the level's pretty good, and you have to win a lot of matches to kind of go from zero to kind of where you need to be. Yeah. In um, all, you know, and so, yeah, basically, the, I just kind of got then got stuck in that in that that area, and um, yeah, and after kind of. After a few years, just found it, you know, find it difficult to to get out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty well. Basically, that the way I see it is that I just kind of got lost a little bit, you know, and there was, you know, um, you know, and then I didn't really. I was I was playing tournaments, and I was doing okay. I wasn't doing terribly, but I wasn't I wasn't doing great. Then kind of that that feeling going from juniors where being pretty successful and you know feeling like I'm probably winning the majority of matches that you're playing to then kind of yeah after a while that kind of hit me quite hard I think um and I didn't yeah I didn't necessarily respond very well to that and 
yeah, uh, yeah, I just felt like I got lost basically, and then. And, and how much of that, Dicko, do you think was? I mean, Barker's again, Ian Barclay, who's I think it's episode twenty-one, was was on the was on the podcast, and Barker's was like a dad to you as well in so many ways. I mean, I I was yeah. always. I was always a bit jealous of your relationship with Barkers, you know, and that's, you know, obviously he was coaching me as well, but you guys had such a strong, tight connection. And I guess he coached you really from 12 to 17, 18. How, how much of it do you think was that you lost your way because you didn't have, not, not to diss the people that you were working with, but maybe you didn't have the right connection or the right, right relationship with them after Barkers left? Um, yeah, I'd say that probably quite a big, probably played quite a big part in it, really. I mean, like you said, Barkers was, yeah, he was unbelievable with me, really. Um, and then, yeah, that kind of, I, I always felt, I always felt at the time that it's, it's a bit of a blur, really, when we left. I don't know if you, like, had you already, had you already gone to America? I'd gone to America, so I the whole the whole Bisham shutting. I'd already gone to America, so I wasn't around at that point. Yeah, so it was, ba- it was a bit of a blur, really, to me. Um, I just remember hearing that we were almost like yeah, just hearing that we were just Bisham wasn't going to almost exist anymore. Yeah, and then kind of being asked where I wanted to go, and <laughs> thinking I don't, I don't know really. I don't, and I just. Yeah, and then it kind of unraveled a little bit from there. Kind of, again, like you said, it's not, it's not that the places I went to were not good. Yeah. It's just you know it's easy to kind of. I think when we when I went from what I had to then, yeah. and that it was, you know, it's just yeah, it's just different. Like and arguably the most important time though as well. You know that we we know that traditionally that transition from good good junior into the pro game is is the the most important time it's the it's the biggest black hole of tennis it's where mm. a lot it's where a lot of people fall down you know and if you if you don't have that security and that strong person to guide you at that time you know we've seen time and time again that it, it can be catastrophic the way that it falls apart and did you did you change like your reflection? Were you doing everything that you could do at that time? Did you did you fall off the cliff a little bit in terms of your guess day to day processes? I was a I was a hundred percent guilty of, um, yeah. What's I don't know what the right not taking necessary responsibility, but also kind of not seeking out um, seeking out the help as well. Like. I guess even when when you when you start coaching as well, you kind of look at, you know, you want also your players to engage with you because you know you're going to help the ones that are. Yeah. Well, it's just it's just you're going to help the ones that are kind of looking for it more. Yeah. And um, I don't know whether I was feeling sorry for myself or, again, it's it's hard to really remember, but I know that I know that I wouldn't have been. I know at that time I wasn't probably the person that you probably would want to help. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't, I wasn't, yeah, um, yeah I wasn't probably seeking out the, the help that I needed at that time. I didn't do anything about it myself. I just kind of let things, let things go on as they were. I didn't, I didn't make a difference. Do you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. just kind of, I didn't look out for myself. I just kind of, and, and part of me thinks, you know, maybe it's a bit normal at that in reflection now i think it's actually probably a bit normal and then you know why did uh why did i not then kind of take a moment at some point even when i gave up to kind of go hang on a minute but the difference is that well i don't know it felt, felt like again for me at the time that back then it was i basically felt like i've missed the boat already so uh, you know i felt like Twenty, I don't know what I was. Twenty-one, maybe twenty. I think I was coming up to twenty-two. I thought it's like it's just I've already missed the boat. So yeah. you know, um, you know. But now it seems like it's that it just seems so different now. Yeah. Well, I I was watching Dominic Team yesterday, and I don't necessarily think that this is a is a great reflection on the commentator. 
but he was talked about as one of the young up and coming players and he's 27. Yeah. You know, and, and that, but I do think that's where the mindset's changed a little bit in the sport. And, you know, I did a little bit of research before this because I was like, do you know what? You were 460 in the world at 20. Now that's, it's good. It's good nowadays. Obviously you get your, you have your absolute special ones who just fly through. So I looked at it and I, I remember back in 2012, I think it was, um, I was at a futures event with a couple of guys from the, from the academy. And in the first round, I watched a guy called, uh, well, you, you, you'll know Fuksovic, who Fuksovic happened to beat Medvedev Watch this that week. Last night, yeah. yeah. You know, Fuksovic was playing against Dominic Thiem in the first round. And Fuksovic was 20, almost 21, and Team was 19, almost 20. And at that point, Fuksovic was ranked 450, and Dominic Team was ranked about 390. Yeah. Kareno Buster was also in that tournament, and Kareno Buster was ranked about 700. And we actually practiced with Fuksovic a little bit that week. And he said to us, I'll be a top 100 player. I don't know when. And I'm not, in, I'm not in a hurry. I know that I'm going to get there and I'm just going to go at my own speed. And he, and he very much, and what Fuksovic will be moving into probably top 40 now. And, and, and I just think that mentality, is, it was so refreshing to hear. But certainly back in our day, that was absolutely not the culture. That was, you know, exactly what you're saying, past it at 21. 460 in the world and pass, but that's what it was. You know, I remember now, and I won't mention it, but I came back from college. I'd been back from college for six months, not even, and I'd won a Futures singles. So I'd basically been on the Pro Tour for about four or five months. And I was, so I was ranked about 700 after winning the Futures. And I got told, nah, nah, you, 700's terrible for a 22, 23-year-old. You may as well just focus on doubles. No, and, and, and I guess and, and you can look back and go, well, actually, at 22, 23, I should have been more switched on to that and being able to go. But because, because we are a product of the environment and the culture that we're, we're a part of, we almost don't second guess or question the, these things. And, and I do think that's, that's a big part of, you know, yourself, Jimmy Nelson, you know, there's, there's, there's many players that have, that have had it over the years. Do you, do you regret it? Is, it? is it something that you, that's painful to talk about? Or do you feel uh, that you've moved on? Yeah, because I, I do hear people sort of saying, like, don't, I, you know, no regrets and so on. I mean, for me, massively, like, even, like, I wouldn't change now the things I've got in my life, you know, but yeah, it's a massive regret for me that, you know, I didn't, that I didn't carry on playing tennis. Um, you know, just, it's more for me, I don't know, I might, I, I might not have, you know, who knows where I would have got to. I'm not saying that I would have been a yeah. pro player playing in slams. I'm sure I could have been, I'm sure I could have been playing in slams. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, it's just the unknown, you know, like that kind of, I don't know, because I didn't try it. Like I said, a lot of it's, you know, a lot of it's probably my, you know, my regrets that I kind of how I was at that time. But then I also, yeah, I don't know. It's just, there's probably things that I could have done that on reflection, but then it's so easy. Everything's easy in hindsight, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's, uh, but what, what I don't do, I don't like kind of, it doesn't affect me now. Do you know what I mean? Because, there's a difference yeah. between kind of thinking um, it's not, I think for a few years, um, I think for a few years after not, when I stopped playing, it kind of affected me quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I was kind of hiding a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of moved on from that. That's good. Well, thanks for, I sense a bit of pain in your voice talking about it, and which, which is not always a bad thing either. You know, I think it's, you know, that's certainly during these podcasts, it's been so thankful how open and honest everyone's been. And I think, you know, for for those listening, it's such great messages for them to take. If you were working with Simon Dixon, age 19, which could happen, you know, you're a great coach and you've got lots to give 
on the coaching side, what would you do with them? Uh, first thing I would do is give him, just give him some direction, you know? Yeah. I think that was the one, the one thing that just, again, I don't know whether, I, I don't know whether these days it just seems that that, I don't know whether, whether it's more, like I don't remember ever sitting down and going through some goals. Yeah, yeah. Ever. Even, actually, even with maybe with Barkers, you know, the coaches for sure working on our game. Um, but just, yeah, when I was, I don't remember ever sitting down and kind of, I think we did sit down and go through some things, but not kind of, I don't know. Maybe there's, there's a possibility that maybe we did and I'm, I wasn't listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, there's a possibility that that happened. But, um, yeah, just I just needed some direct, you know, some direction, and also, you know, um, and or maybe some, you know, some planning as well in terms of, okay, you're not, um, you know, this is kind of what you need to do in your tennis, but also, the, the, there was no backup plan really either that I didn't didn't have. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, you know, that was. That was one thing I was really fortunate that I was supported from probably at that age 12 to whenever I stopped playing 21, 22. And then, yeah, I pretty much was fully funded probably from all that time. And then then I, lo I lost pretty much all my funding, I think, at that time. But during that journey, there was never a plan in terms of, well, I don't, again, I don't remember there being a plan that, you know, at some point this might you know, this funding might stop or, you know, for you to carry on during this time, you need to do this, this and this. It wasn't a plan, Dicko. You've been nice. There wasn't. Well, I don't, yeah. There wasn't. I, from memory, there wasn't a plan. But I don't know, you know, because I, I do also know that at that time I was probably, <laughs> later on, I probably wasn't particularly coachable or I wasn't, you know, oh, I wasn't really listening as much as I should have done. But There's still yeah. not a plan, though. There's still not a plan. We've Isn't got... It? a and, and I'm 87 million people, and sorry to podcast listeners that have heard me say this before, 87 million people play tennis at least two times a week globally. Uh, the ITF, it's the ITF's figures, it's not mine. Note point, note, 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 five, seven, five percent will make money through playing tennis. And that's taking the top 250 ATP and WTA. Yet in our industry, there's no plan for the other 99.9999425. You yeah. know, and, and it's just, there's no soft landing. It's just on, yeah. the, on the scrap heap. So, so then what happens, and, and this is what I want to get into now because you've touched on it. What I think happens or what I see happen is you have tennis players who perceive themselves to be failed tennis players because that's where they're aiming and for whatever reason. And I think your, your story is obviously different to lots. And then they've got nothing to do. So what they do is they go and coach, but they don't really want to coach. So actually they end up coaching with the wrong attitude. So now we end up having loads of coaches with the wrong attitude, which just becomes bad for the whole tennis ecosystem. And it's like yeah. this whole thing goes on and on and on and on. It's part part of my bigger picture kind of goals and ambitions that I want to try and help bring to the sport. So if we, it, but in terms of you, you're now, you're thrown on the scrap heap. Oi, Dicko, Dixon, you were awesome for 10 years, mate. Now you're crap. Giving up. Let's rugby ball you into the nearest David Lloyd's. How, mm -hmm. how, how was that? How was your first, how was your first few years as a coach? Uh, yeah. I mean, brutally honest, I think I hated it. I think it'd be the right, be the right. I, I enjoyed some aspects of it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, just you know, and again, some of that was well, probably, probably a large amount of that was just a hangover from what you know, probably. And I, I would have been denying it probably at the time, but it was a hangover from kind of thinking I should have been playing tennis, but not. Um, I didn't. I did enjoy some aspects of, of the coaching, um, but yeah, it was kind of make yeah, make enough money to kind of 
live basically and do other things that I wanted to do to to get away from yeah almost had to get away from the fact that I was probably somewhere regretting not playing tennis you didn't spend your money on your phone bill I tell you that I didn't spend it on the phone bill no <laughs> I mean, I, for those. There was what for that four or five year, board. yeah, four or five year period. I must have called you about four hundred and sixty-five times. I don't think you picked up once, and then, and then all of a sudden on New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, you text me to say, ask me if I want to come to your New Year's Eve party. In, it starts in about six hours' time, and you, <laughs> and you were in Manchester, and I was in Birmingham, and I was like, "Finally, Dickles got back to me, and he's inviting me to a party, but I, but I couldn't make it." Um, but on not, the pl- not a lot changed. <laughs> it's a, no, not a lot has changed. It's a, it's a miracle I've got you on here. Yeah, but it is, but it's also that the the positive of tennis is it's well, there's so many of them as well, but you know, lifelong friends. You know, there's the, the network's so big. And, and again, I don't know if you remember it, but in Bournemouth, you know, you've been working in David Lloyd for a few years. And then in Bournemouth, we were having a bit of a chat in the hotel bar. And I mentioned to you that there was a potential job at Edgebaston Priory. What's your, what's your memories of that, that time period? To be fair, like, so at the David Lloyd where I was coaching, um, there was like um, a performance program. I don't know if you know Brian McFadden, who was a yeah. coach and a coach, my brother. So there were actually some, there was actually some good juniors there, and I started to do a bit of naturally just do a bit of work on that kind of side of things there at David Lloyd, which was I don't know how many hours a week. It was it was kind of a small percentage of the coaching that I was doing, but I quickly found that I love I love doing that. Uh, I want to do more of it. And then obviously then when you when you spoke to me about that about the opportunity of doing that more and then it was like you know yeah that's this is the coaching that i want to do that's just the side of the you know side of the coaching that i enjoyed the most um, yeah, yeah. but just how these conversations and obviously these networks and we've all got them you know and we can kind of pinpoint different things has then led to a wife kids you know a, a completely new life but before we get into your work and your philosophies of a coach Tell, well, tell the listeners about your job interview at Edgebaston Priory. Well, my job interview? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to know about the interview? Well, I, I asked you after the interview my, how it went. And you said my, it was my, memory from, my memory from the interview is, obviously, all, like, I'm pretty sure, I haven't had that many interviews actually coaching, but, um, you know, you always do the on-court interview, uh, you kind of you do the on-court session with a player, um, and then you go in and, and chat about stuff afterwards and and uh, yeah I remember we did the on-court first and I thought you know smashed did a pretty it. good job <laughs> smashed it there did a pretty good job um, it was Bjorn who was on who was on uh, on the court with and then yeah I just remember thinking I just did it because I hadn't been it's funny really because I hadn't, hadn't really been involved in performance junior tennis and I just remember thinking I was just making up answers I didn't really hadn't you know I didn't know what I was talking about really it's just funny really when you think about it but I remember thinking oh god I did so badly there I remember asking you and you said oh they asked me they asked me about long-term player development and to be honest I started answering and I realised I didn't know what I was talking about, but I should have stopped, but I just kept going. (laughs) (laughs) And then I asked the the people that interviewed you afterwards, because I was so excited to, to have you at the club. And I said, I said, how was he? How was he? They said he was unbelievable on the court. Brilliant. <laughs> off, off the court, not quite so, not quite not so best. good, but will work. And that was what fifteen years ago now, huh? fourteen years ago. Yeah, I think, I think it was it was thirteen or fourteen. I think yeah, something like that. Where are we now? Thirty nine. Yeah, I think it's coming up to fourteen. I think. And um, so what? So you as a coach now, what's what are your main philosophies? You know, what's what have you taken from your playing? Um, what do you what are you trying to get out of your coaching now? The biggest thing I think is players want to get. You just want to see the players have fun and enjoy you know enjoy what they're doing. Yeah. Because um, yeah. a lot of the time I think 
like we talk about working hard as like coaches, you know, like especially in performance center, come on, you got to work hard, you got to work hard. But I think when you enjoy what you're doing, you know, you work hard. So my, my main philosophy in, in coaching is that tennis is just an individual sport. So you just, you know, I think to have a, a philosophy is yep. maybe not necessarily, depending on where you are, yep. is not necessarily, um, obviously have something, a lot of things that you believe in, but yep. you know, it's an individual sport at the end of the day. So like kind of working with those players to help them get better at their game is kind of yeah. kind of my philosophy a little bit really. I'm a big believer like in the younger kids that especially the way the game's going that you you've got to do like we talked about earlier that developing the skills um like as many skills as you can from a young age as possible is kind of you know is probably crucial the way the game's going now. It's basically an all-round. Yeah. It's an all-round sport now, isn't it? It's not. It's. Um, and do you watch much tennis still? A lot now, yeah. yeah. Again, like like we said before, I'd, I'd watch. I'd watch, probably hardly any tennis once I stop playing again. Yeah. You know, kind of probably a bit like. Don't want to. It's probably a bit painful to watch, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, over the last kind of, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've watched, you know, I love watching tennis again now, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's an amazing sport, isn't it? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And do you see, do you see it changing? Do you see it evolving, the sport? Uh, not really sure. I'm being, I don't think so. I just think, well, it's always going to evolve, isn't it? It's, it's definitely going to evolve. But like the way I see it evolve, it's almost like, I mean, they almost seem superhuman now, but it's like the all, it's going to be like the all court player that, that's also the aggressive base, you know, it's just basically the players that just do everything. They're unbelievable athletes, you know, an even more aggressive version of Djokovic or, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what you think about that, but yeah, I no, see. yeah, I mean, I think the game, <clears throat> I definitely think the game's evolved into the place where, you have to have a couple of super weapons now. Yeah. You know, I think it, it, one of them might be movement. So, you know, I think Alex de Manure is an example. I would say his his movement is one of them. You know, and, and I think it's 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 definitely evolved a little bit more into being a little bit more high risk taking. You know, you have to when the ball's there to hit, you kind of got to hit it now. You know, whereas I think, I think there was some guys who could kind of guile it around a little bit, and you know, just not break down. Maybe, yeah. maybe fifteen, twenty years ago. Whereas now, you've got to be able to punish; otherwise, you'll you'll get punished. Um, yeah. You know, and, and and certainly on the girls' side as well, it's just very much the first opportunity someone gets to punish you, they'll, they'll punish you, you know? So uh, I definitely would like to see, and I think it's coming, it going to come in a bit more, especially on the girls' side, actually, is the ability to use that little bit more variation and, you know, being able to really grab a hold of a, a female player and give them a Simon Dixon slice, I think mm -hmm. would, would go a long way. But that being said, if they serve like crap, they never get the chance to use this slice. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I think, you know, that ability to, to, to be good in the early phase of the point is important. So I definitely would see those as, as, as kind of evolvements of the sport. Um, whereas obviously some of the stuff is kind of, it is what it is and, and always will be. And the best competitors and the ones that understand the scoring system and they understand the big points and the big moments and, you know, they understand when to make a first serve, when a return's got to go in court. I think those things don't necessarily change in the game. You know, no. that, you know that goes back to back to our day, and I'm sure, I'm sure beyond. Um, and yourself, you're still playing a little bit as well. That's one thing that's amazed me from afar. You're still, you're still in great shape. Still, you're still playing a little bit. A little bit now. I mean, I think what kind of. Again, what kind of re uh, rejuvenated me a little bit was kind of getting the um, the call for GB over thirty fives. Yeah. So I did that, um, which is funny, really. I didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I did. I went to South Africa first yeah. year, and then and then Miami. Um, but I just, again, just loved I loved it so much, and then that 
you know. Um, but having said that, I haven't played a load. I mean, that is just, yeah. you know, just kept, kept fit enough to play. Uh, and then I played in the over 35, I don't know, it's like a Nationals or something at uh, Tipton last year. Was that this yeah. year? This year. Just, you know, I, I still, I think I, I went through a spell again where I'd be playing once I stopped and then kind of still be in kind of like my old mode. Yeah, yeah. Where, do you know what I mean? I was still like thinking I was a pro player for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of, you know, treat, not not having the right mindset to play rather than yeah. like now I, now I can just enjoy playing tennis and, you know, it's, to be fair, it's still, it's still hard because you, you do. Yeah. <laughs> once, you're in, once you're in the battle, you kind of can fall back into those traps. But generally speaking, it's just, you know, just enjoy being on the court. Can you see yourself continuing? You you got the over forties next year. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm in my head. I'm thinking I might still go over thirty five. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I could quite like the challenge of that, but I don't know. We'll see. Well, yeah, fair fair play to you, mate. Um, it's been class catching up. Yeah, if nobody listens, nobody listens. But I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the the catch up. We'll have to do it over a beer sometime soon when this global pandemic dies down and we can get on the golf course again. But we've got our little quick fire round to finish, Dicko. Come on then. You up for Hit a me. bit of quick fire? Yeah. Roger or Rafa? Uh, Roger. Sampras or Agassi? Sampras. Edberg or Becker? Edberg. Serena or Venus? Uh, that's a toughie for me. Uh, Serena. Slice or topspin backhand? Slice. Slice and a dice and serve or return? A return. Singles or doubles? Ooh, that's a toughie. Uh, singles. The winner of this year's French Open men's title? Am I going to be brave? Nothing, Nadal, Nadal. That's okay. brave. I think that's brave. I don't think yeah. he's favourite. I think Djokovic is favourite. Mm. Given the conditions, given the balls, what everyone's talking about, given that Nadal's not played a whole lot of tennis, I, I, mm. I, I think Djokovic is favourite. But and by I, the time he gets to the semi-final, he has played a lot of tennis. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going for... Djokovic team final. I think team's going to beat Rafa in the semis. Yeah. I was thinking about this last night. Yeah, I was thinking about that last night. It's a tough, it's actually going to be a good French Open, I think. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. And what about the women's side? Uh, who is going to win the women's? Um, can Serena do it? I don't think so. Um... Good point. I don't know who I'm going to go for on the women. I always like. I always go for Adarenka. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't she's... have any uh, justification behind my. Behind I have. My I have Halep as favourite. Yeah, Halep's always going to be a good bet there. I think. But again, what it's a wide open event, so it's a, it'll be an exciting one. Injury timeout, should it be allowed or not during a match? That's also a funny one. Because if you don't have the injury timeout, then people pull out. But I, my gut is to say no, no injury timeout. We've agreed, I've agreed with a couple of guests, you only have an injury timeout if you're about to die. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you don't want someone to pull out of the match, that kind of... But at the same time, I just think, I don't know. It just seems like it's abused, you know, and then, you know, have it if you absolutely, but how, how, do, you, how do you judge that? Do you know what I mean? If you're going to die or not, that's it. That's the criteria. That's the criteria. And one rule change that you would have in tennis? Uh, I'm just going to have to go with everyone else who says no warm-up. Going for the no, no warm-up option. Dicko, class catching up. Thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, to the listeners, uh, there's loads of learnings in that. Loads and loads and loads. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out, 
on that. I'm sure you can come come to us at the podcast and we can get some questions to Simon Dixon as well. I'm sure he'll be happy to answer them. And good luck, good luck the next few weeks, and hopefully, hopefully, it won't be too long before we can catch up again. Good to see you, mate. Thanks a lot. A big thank you to Simon Dixon for coming on the show. Loved catching up, and hope you guys enjoyed the chat. Um, yeah, I think there's, there's there's lots of learnings as with all these podcasts, and to see someone who really was at the height of of the junior game. I mean, I can't stress how good Dicko was as a youngster, and for him to share that it's still so difficult to go from that into into the professional game. I think it's important that we all know our sport. We all know the importance of of getting things right, having the right connections with our coaches. We call it paying the daily bill, you know, taking care of all of those little small things and having real clarity and purpose. And and I certainly took that from the chat with Dicko that if only we could go back 20 years and, and give him that, then I have no doubt that his career would have been different. However, at the same time, we, we have to accept and we have to, we have to move on with our lives. And he's certainly done that. He's got a very, very happy, healthy life and is, is a brilliant coach who, who is spending time helping many juniors out there. Uh, so there's also different pathways that we can go. So hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back. We have lots of exciting guests still to come over the next few weeks. Uh, they're still coming thick and fast and still loving bringing them to you. So a big thank you to you all, whether you're listening to this over the weekend, whether you're listening to this on the way to work, whatever it is, have a fantastic day and keep reaching out. We, I love the messages that are coming through. So thank you for the sports. Thank you for the suggestions and we'll be back very soon. For now, I'm Dan Kiernan. My co-host is John McGann. You haven't heard him for for a while. He's still part of the podcast. He's just he's he's been a very busy man, getting getting business back going in Ireland. Uh, so big shout out to John, and we are control the controllables.